It is so good to be with you this morning. I uh, just want you to know, I think you look great. And uh, if you want to capture how good you look, we do have a little photo booth set up over here by Sebastian in the flower shop that he uh, runs called Fancy Flowers, which we've talked about before. So take a, take a picture back there, something to remember how good you look on this day. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28 is where we'll be in just a minute. We're celebrating the resurrection. You know, the resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection is Jesus, of Jesus is God's way of announcing, I am here, take my hand. I want to tell you a story about a job I had when I was about 16 years old. So when I was about 16 years old, I worked as a camp counselor at this summer day camp that happened at First Baptist Church in downtown Tulsa. I grew up in the Tulsa area. And uh, so what would happen is parents would drop their kids off as they were going into work, and then I uh, and others would be responsible about eight to ten hours a day, five days a week of entertaining these kids and playing with them and making sure they stay alive, you know, so that when their parents come, they're still there and fairly worn out. One of the things that we loved to do was we would love to take them to the pool. It was like the easiest way to wear them out, to keep them busy, and to just kind of hang out with one another as counselors. And, and that was such a fun, fun thing. And so because I was 16 years old, I was responsible for watching the elementary age kids. And uh, I remember this one day in particular. I remember this one day because we went to the pool and it was, seemed to be more crowded than normal. There were a lot of people there. And I also remember it because on that particular day, I had put in one my group this kid named Biggie. Now, Biggie had a big personality, but he was a little bitty guy. And he was all about being wild and active. And he was kind of the kid that when you saw him on your list of kids for the day, you were like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Were any of you that kid, by the way? Yeah, probably. I know I probably was too. So anyway, so here we are, and I, I remember warning Biggie. I said, Biggie, uh, hey man, uh, I want you to have fun today, but the, cr- the pool is extra crowded, and so I want to make sure that you know that you cannot go out too deep, because Biggie had a big personality, but Biggie was not a very good swimmer. And I said, Biggie, listen, I, I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm trying to flirt with the girls, and uh, I don't want to spend too much time like paying attention to you, so don't go out too deep. So sure enough, here we are going about the day, and I'd look out every once in a while, and I'd find my group, you know, my kids, and then I'd, I'd make extra uh, effort to find Biggie in the pool. And I, I noticed that as, as the day was going, Biggie was getting more and more kind of wild, more and more rambunctious, and he was getting further and further towards the deep end. And I can remember standing on the side of the pool and saying, Biggie, Biggie, you're going too deep. Now, what you may be thinking is like, okay, aren't there lifeguards? Yes, there were lifeguards, but they got paid at that time $3.80 an hour, which meant that they were not leaving the lifeguard stand. I mean, they were not leaving the lifeguard stand, so we were sort of responsible for these kids and their well-being. And so there's Biggie, and he's starting to get deeper and deeper and deeper, and I can see him getting deeper, and I would shout from the edge, Biggie, you're getting too deep! And he would kind of look at me and be like, you know, and, uh, and I would say, but sure enough, as I was on the side, talking to this, this girl that I thought, hey, you know, I think she likes me. Paying attention to her, I noticed out of the corner of my eye, Biggie had gotten too deep. And a little panic hit my heart. And so I jumped in. I jumped into the pool. 
the, the resurrection of Jesus is a story about God jumping in. It's a story about God jumping in, and it's in the form of a man named Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, to fully understand the significance of God jumping in in the form of this man named Jesus, you have to think about why it happened in the context of the entire narrative of the Bible. We have to think back to the very first humans who ever lived. So God created them. We read about this in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. The relationship when he created them was peaceful. It was in order. But in time, they chose to rebel against God, wanting in essence to take the place of God. So this created division between humans and God. This peace was disrupted. And man's attempt to find peace without God failed. They attempted it in many different ways. So the Old Testament of the Bible tells a story of God disclosing himself through brokenness to people. He started with Abraham and then the law. God began making himself known to this select group of people we read about in the Old Testament called the Israelites. And God is shouting to people, shouting warnings through the prophets. He's shouting wisdom through the prophets. But the people refused to listen. Their story is much like our story. So God jumps in as a man, Jesus. Now, I did not drown on that day I rescued Biggie. But when Jesus jumped in after three years of publicly demonstrating how to love the Father and to love people, a death occurred. We remember this event as we gathered with other churches on Friday night. Raise your hand if you were at the Good Friday service Friday night. Okay, four of you. Great. Good to have you there. It was a really wonderful, really meaningful kind of a time. So we remember that event on Fridays. We reflected on the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus died saving drowning people from sin. At the cross, Jesus took our place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So Jesus died in our place so that we might truly live. This is our hope. Now imagine for a moment that on that day at the pool when I was 16 years old, packed with kids, I jumped in to save Biggie from his own bad choices, and I drowned. People would certainly be talking about it. Maybe even I would be called a hero. But it would be obvious that I had no real power over that deep water that Biggie had gotten himself into. When Jesus jumped in to rescue people from the deep waters of sin, it killed him. But he did not stay dead. As a declaration of the power of sin and death, he was raised from the dead. This is why we worship Jesus as the Savior. We read about it in places like Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. So Jeannie's going to read the passage. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? 
And I want you to notice as she's reading, there's two phrases, do not fear and go and tell. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there you will see me. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So the resurrection of Jesus is that central moment in human history that serves as the foundational doctrine of Christianity. So maybe you're here because you've been invited by somebody that you like well enough to accept their invitation. And you're wondering, like, okay, so why is Easter such a big deal to Christians? It is because it is the central moment in human history that serves as the foundational doctrine of Christianity. Without resurrection, Jesus might be thought of as a hero or a great leader, someone willing to die. But there would be no ongoing hope of rescue. There would be no Christian faith. In fact, Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. This reminds me of a story that I like to tell every Easter. Some years ago, I went with a team of people from our church to do some humanitarian work in the Horn of Africa. I'll never forget this trip. It was one of those that truly changes your life. I remember we took a long plane ride. We flew to Rome, and then we flew from Rome into Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And we get out into the airport, and I knew once I was in the airport, this is not the United States of America. And I had begun hearing stories from the people that we were going with about this man who was Muslim and converted to Christianity, and it cost him everything. And I thought, well, I've it's interesting, you know, I look forward to potentially meeting this person. So anyway, so we get into the little shuttle, and we take the shuttle, and we begin driving, and we drive multiple hours, because we are going to go way, way, way out into the bush. And so we take this shuttle, it takes a lot of hours to go, and as we're going, the, the people that are hosting us there are telling us about what we're about to experience. Some of the people that we're going to see have never seen a white person, and they were like, hey, just so you know, they're going to be a little weirded out when they see you. You're a white person. Something is really unique about you. And, uh, and you're big. And so they're going to be like, what in the world is happening in the United States of America? They're white and big. And, and so, sure enough, we begin hearing stories about what it was like um, for this particular person 
who uh, had heard about the resurrection of Jesus and his heart was warmed with faith. And that faith led him to cross the line of faith. And not only did he become a believer, but he did what believers do. He began sharing it with other people and it cost him everything. And from his ministry, they were telling us that people started to believe and this movement of Christianity began happening in the bush in, the, in the, a remote place in Ethiopia where not just dozens of people were coming to faith, but hundreds of people were coming to faith. These little churches were popping up all over the place. And so as we're driving, and I, I can't remember exactly, but it was hours. We're driving for hours. My heart is getting so excited to just meet this person. And so sure enough, we get out, and then I find out we have to then hike. We hiked for a little while, and uh, we eventually came to the place in this village where this, this man was. And at this point, we had not only moved from English, we had moved to uh, Hamaric, and then a whole other language. So we were two languages deep into the Horn of Africa. That's how far we were. And when we first got there, of course, the people that were there greeted us so warmly. They were dancing and singing. And truthfully, that was a little bit awkward for me because they were expecting us to dance, and I don't dance very well. And so, um, you know, they're dancing in the way that you think about people in Africa dancing when they're greeting you. It was beautiful and wonderful, and I was just awkward. And so we get out there, and eventually I get to a place where I get to talk to this man. And I'd heard that he had given up a lot. And for him, when he converted to Christianity, he was kicked out of his homeland, kicked out of, off of his property. His brothers and sisters and parents disowned him. It cost him a lot. And so we, we got to the point in the conversation where I felt the courage to ask him, like, okay, so why? I mean, how could you do this? How could you get to a place where you're willing to give up so much for this faith in Jesus? I mean, you know, for us, I mean, let's be honest, in America, sometimes we're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but it's hard to get to church. But this man gave up, gave up a lot. And so he said this story. <clears throat> he said, imagine you're on a trip and come to a fork in the road. And when you get to that fork in the road, you look down each road, and down one path, there's nothing, there's no one. But down the other path, there is a risen Savior. Which path would you take? He said, I believe because of the resurrection. It changes everything. And that's so true. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It gives us hope in a way that without it, we would have no hope. I don't know what you believe to be true about God. Maybe you think of God as that like distant being who just stays on the side and shouts warnings to you on occasion. Or maybe you think of God as that distant being that you only talk to when you get into a crisis. You know, that kind of relating to God can be so hopeless. But the resurrection of Jesus is the announcement by God, I am here, close to you, Take my hand. I can save. And once you grab his hand, he'll never let go. I want to get into application here in just a minute, but I want to consider the fact 
that some people, rather than grabbing the hand of Jesus, choose instead to fight him. Maybe that's you. They flail their hands and kick away, and they reject the only real hope they have for survival. The message of Christianity is that our only real hope for survival from drowning in life is to take the hand of Jesus who is able to save. It's more than just a little cute story, an occasion to get dressed up for. It is the hand of hope. There's an old Christian song, a hymn, if you will, written in 1902, and it goes a little something like this. Go and tell Jesus, weary, sick, sin-sick soul, he'll ease thee of thy burden, make thee whole. Look up to him, he only can forgive. Believe on him, and thou shalt surely live. Go and tell Jesus, he'll dispel thy fears, will calm thy painful doubts and dry thy tears. He'll take thee in his arms and on his breast. Thou mayst be happy and forever blessed. Go and tell Jesus, O turn to him and live. Go and tell Jesus, he only can forgive. So we believe that Jesus, God in the flesh, was crucified as an innocent man. Then on the third day, the Father in the power of the Spirit raised the Son from the dead. And this stirs hope in us, and it impacts the way we live. This is where I want to bring my message to a place of application. Like, okay, so what does this mean for my everyday life? How does this belief translate through hope into how I live? Two things. Christians, the first one is Christians live without fear. So in the passage that Jeannie read from Matthew's gospel, the angel, whenever he first speaks to the women, he says, do not be afraid. And then Jesus repeated those same words in verse 10, do not be afraid. And and no doubt they had every reason in the world to be afraid, right? I mean, they've just seen an angel. They've just experience the loss of their leader, Jesus, and then they see him alive. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would be afraid too. Like, what in the world is happening? And not only did that, but they experienced a lot of hardship in their life. They, they would have to know now that because of faith in Jesus that they too might die. Do you know that the Bible has as the most repeated command in all of the Bible, three words, do not fear. It's spoken 365 times in the Bible. And there's so much in our world and maybe in your life that stirs fear in us, but the Christian need not be afraid because Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you have going on in your individual life. Some of you I know, but I don't certainly know all that's going on for you. You have every reason in the world on paper to be fearful. But here's the thing. When you have hope in Jesus, when you've taken God's hand, you don't have to fear. There's no need to be afraid. You can live without fear. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you ought to be afraid. Because whether or not you realize it, you are drowning. So do not fear. Look to your neighbor and say, do not fear. Second thing, 
Christians, go and tell others. So not only did the, did the angel and Jesus tell the women to not be afraid, but they also instructed the women, go and tell, verse 7 and 10, respectively. And Jesus had already given this command in what's called the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This, these are words that he spoke before the crucifixion. And he says, go and make disciples. The very first Christians made it their mission to tell others about the one who jumped in humanity to save. And it wasn't for them always convenient or safe, but it was the most loving expression of their faith. So we too, as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you get to go and tell. You say, well, okay, so what does that look like? Does that look like the guy that's standing on the street corner that's red-faced mad, screaming with big signs like saying, you're going to go to hell? I, I don't think it means that. Here's what it means to go and tell. And here's something that you can actually do this month. And so I'm challenging. Here's the call to application for the month of April for you. Would you go and tell by inviting somebody into a conversation that does not share your faith in Christ? That might be literally inviting them into your home, sharing a meal. And it's not one of those where you get them in a conversation and you say, okay, I'm so glad you're here. Here, let me tell you about the resurrection of Jesus. Don't start there. You invite them in and you say, tell me your story. I want to get to know you more. I want to hear about where you grew up and tell me about your family and what are your dreams and what do you want to do with your life? Invite them in to your life, and hopefully they'll invite you to theirs. And then maybe, just maybe, that you can get the opportunity to share with them the lens through which you see all things. How can you have hope in a time that seems so hopeless? How can you have hope in your financial future in a time that seems so uncertain financially? How can you have hope in marriage when so many marriages are faltering and failing? How can you have hope at work in conflict when there are so many people that can't seem to move past conflict with certain people in their lives? You get to talk to them about your hope, and your hope is this. When God jumped in in the form of a man named Jesus and reached out his hand. You took it. You took it, and he's not letting you go. So there's no need to be afraid. Do not fear. And you, as a follower of Jesus, as you believe that, it won't require a lot of prodding to get you to go and tell. This is our hope. We, as followers of Jesus, are a people of hope. We're a people that live without fear. And we're a people that warmly invite people into our lives and ask them to invite us into theirs so that we can have the opportunity to tell them about the story that changes all of history and gives us hope in a hopeless time. Do not fear. Go and tell. Let's think on and pray about these things. Would you bow your head? So I, I don't know what's going on in your life. 
And, and maybe you're here on this Easter Sunday to kind of check that box, get that free lunch. But maybe, just maybe, this is a moment where you can have a conversation with God, a bit of a reset. Maybe the conversation with God will go something like this. God, I want to cross the line of faith. I want to, I want to take, reach out and take your hand. I've heard that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. I believe that I needed that so that my sins can be forgiven. So talk to God about that in this next moment. Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, but you've been living as if you were not being held by God. Use this opportunity to repent and renew your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're here and God is speaking to you. Whatever it is, these are the next few moments. And Andrew's going to lead us to think about a response. But don't make this just another church gathering. Make this a moment where you can truly have a conversation with God in a way that will impact every day of your life.